This is Off the Record, the weekly KOTO public affairs show that offers you, the listener, an opportunity to hear in-depth conversations on community topics and issues that matter. As always, you are encouraged to join the conversation by calling 728-4333. Now here's your host. Good evening, KOTO listeners. You are tuned in to KOTO Telluride. I am your host, Julia Caulfield from the news team for this off the record program talking about local government. We have the heads of our three closest local jurisdictions here. We have Marty Prohaska, Mountain Village Mayor, Lance Waring, San Miguel County Commissioner Chair, and Teddy Erico, Telluride's new mayor. Thank you all for being here this evening. Thanks, Julia. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for having us and putting it together. It's exciting. Uh, as a reminder to our listeners, this is a call-in program, so if you have a question or comment for our guests, please give us a call, 970-728-4333. Starting off, we're at the beginning of a new year. How are y'all doing? How are you feeling in your roles as head of government heading into 2024? I'm really excited and inspired. I'm, I couldn't be happier with the team that we have at Mountain Village, but also the teams that are at the county and Telluride. Um, I know these two that are sitting next to me really well. Um, We have a lot of history here and I'm just really, you know, we have a lot of big things we got to tackle, but I think that we've got the right people to do it. Well said, Marty. I agree with all of that and uh, look forward to working with both of you because as you said, we've got a lot of Big questions coming at us, and this year seems to be the one where a lot of them have stacked up, and we have to roll up our sleeves and make some good decisions. I agree. It's exciting, and um, I'm so confident with all the people I've gotten to know and, and their government roles and staff roles, and, and as the new guy, it's... Um, you know, it's almost a little overwhelming to me to be part of such a wonderful team because we do have the issues that are coming up, and I think our community can have faith um, in the county, in Mountain Village, and certainly the town of Telluride, um, you know, to do a wonderful job, and, and you know, we're going to work hard and do the best we can for you. All right, we already have a call, so we're going to bring him up on the air. Hi, you're live on Kodo. Uh, yeah, this one's directed more at Teddy. And it has to do with that article I saw in the planet about uh, flood mitigation, flood insurance, and FEMA. And maybe you could fill fill us in a little about that and how it affects us, and what do we have to do to um, not get, you know, get off the double secret probation list. All right. Thanks for your call. Hi, Dave. This is Lance, and Teddy was getting his um, headphones on, and I think he missed your question, but it sounds like that's a very Telluride-centric question. So if you could repeat it, Teddy's all rigged up now and ready to respond. So we took him off the air. (laughs) But um, the question was about um, flood insurance with FEMA in the town of Telluride. The town is currently... um, out of compliance with the FEMA flood, National Flood Insurance Program and will be going on probation at the beginning of March. Um, Teddy, if you have... I also just talked with FEMA today about this, so... Uh, I, then, then please <laughs> chime in because, you know, we're, it was brought to our attention today in the council meeting. We know Scott Robson is on this, um, on this topic to try to address some of the discrepancies in it. Um, you know... The one thing that we all have to be aware of as a community, and, and yeah, the flood for just the shape of Telluride is maybe a little bit more significant, although the county has had their flood issues in the past, whether it's um, toward the Box Canyon or, or some of the creeks down the Red Rocks down Valley, um, is how we're going to be um, you know, most compliant whether it's floods, whether it's fires, because not only is flood insurance going to be a big concern and the cost, um, but the same thing is happening to every HOA right now and reevaluating what their fire insurance is as well. And plus, it's a little different for homeowners. Uh, they're still able to get insured and not astronomically um, charged yet. They have a little more flexibility with some tree clearing and, and roof material and things of that nature. But um, what I do know is um, Scott is aware and he's on it. And, and you know, we're, we're taking it very seriously. I wish I had some 
more clear direction on exactly what we are doing. I, I don't at this time, and and it was a brief conversation that Scott had with us at council today. But you know, we are well aware of of what we need to do with FEMA to engage them to to make sure that uh, we don't end up in a pickle. Yeah, and when I was talking with the folks over at FEMA today, you know, they were really just emphasizing that the goal, the point, is not to penalize jurisdictions or governments. They want to make sure that um, property and folks are staying as safe as possible when it comes to flooding, and they're working with the town to to make sure that um, these elements of compliance are able to kind of come back around, and for the time being, probation will go into effect at the beginning of March, and so anybody who's paying into the program will, I think it's a $50 added charge on their insurance while the town of Telluride is under probation for this program, but if it comes back into compliance, then that piece will be taken out. All right, good question. Um, Listeners, take note. You're welcome to give a call and ask a question, 970-728-4333. You know, I know that we have talked about this before. Obviously, Teddy, you were on for a candidate forum uh, just last fall, and I asked a similar question, but recognizing that you are new in your role, Lance, you are nearing-ish the the end of your tenure as a county commissioner. Marty, you are um, in your second term on town council, but a relatively new mayor as of June. How are you looking forward at what your role is in local government and what town council or the county commissioner's y'all's role in leading the communities, being the heads of the governments of these of these communities? That's a great question, and I think we all have a little bit different um, roles as defined kind of with the setup with each of our governments. Like I know the town of Telluride, the mayor's a little bit more of a ceremonial position, um, but, you know, what I'm looking forward to the most is – you know, continuing a few things that have really started to gain momentum, and that is creating a synergy um, and really constructive relationships with both San Miguel County and the town of Mountain Village. And even, you know, when the time is right, even when you think about Ofer uh, and some other communities, because, you know, we've got a lot of intelligent people in, in our community, and when you put them together and you put your common goals together, I think people will be very... Um, I don't, I don't necessarily like the word impressed, and I don't think people deserve to be surprised by good things that happen, but I think we will be effective, and I think that you will start to see um, some groundwork to starting to solve some of our major issues. And like I like to say is that you know part of the reason we're in some of the situations we're in was nobody's fault. You know, We had a recession that focused us more on the economy to get through it, you know, from call it 2009 to probably, you know, 2013, 2014. And then as soon as we start thinking about getting back on track and starting, you know, to address these situations, then blam, we get hit with the pandemic and you kind of all of a sudden it's hitting the reset button again. So that makes it even more important to get that synergy because that will just create some economies of scale, more discussion, more intelligence, more everything to, to, to tackle the problems. And, and, and I'm excited to work with, um, you know, these two specifically, but uh, everyone on their teams as well. You know, I think when I've thought a lot about why I um, stepped into this role as mayor, um, it has a lot to do with trust and wanting to be a person of trust, not just for my constituents, but for the region. And what that comes down to for me is just being approachable and being available. And um, I exist in a lot of spaces in this community. And I have made it a goal to try and earn the trust of you know, everyone who, who lives here and is engaged in the community as much as, as I am. So, you know, extrapolating out from that, you know, that ultimately is what all government's role is, right? Is to, to be an ear that is um, willing to listen and also, you know, willing to be thoughtful. And um, so I hope that that's what I can bring and that that's what I'm hoping to bring. Marty, that's really well said. I am in a little different position because 
as a chair member of a board of three, we hand the gavel around every year. So you guys are mayor, and your term is set, and under your leadership, your councils will be working together on all kinds of issues, and I will be handing the gavel off next year to a new board member. Um, both my current board members are either up for re-election or termed out, so it's going to be a very interesting and different experience for me having some new partners to work with. Um, speaking more personally, Marty, I think everything that you said about being accessible and being available and being transparent whenever possible, and I know that there may be some people listening who feel like um, governments aren't always transparent, and there's truth to that, and those are often for valid and legal reasons, and we can dig into that if we must, and I hope we do. Um, I know there's a lot to talk about. But I'll close by saying that um, I do have a ski date with a member of the Deep Creek Collective set for Thursday morning. And I'm really excited about that because what that tells me is that even though we're on very opposite sides of an issue, we're still able to respect each other and we're still able to get together, put our differences aside, agree to disagree, which sounds trite but is true in this case, and remember why we live here. And I hope that that kind of bridge building is a part of what I'm remembered for. Lance, you just um, kind of teed me up on that. But, you know, when it comes to transparency, trust within local government, you know, we live in such a small community where we do, we, we know a lot of the people who are representing us. We are so intertwined in so many different ways. How do, you, how do you think about maintaining um, openness and transparency with your constituents and also, um, you know, recognizing that there are times where that is not possible, but um, how do you hope that maybe your constituents hold you and hold your councils to a, in accountability when it comes to being as open and transparent with them as possible? Lance, you want to talk, so go for it. I, I want to give an example because this one... Comes up a lot for me, and it is when there's a situation that is going to require a quasi judicial decision from the commissioners, and it's usually a land use issue, something that is um, almost like a jury trial in a sense, because the deciders, i.e., the commissioners, aren't allowed or aren't supposed to have ex parte, meaning outside of conversations, and any one member of the board shouldn't know more than the others. And so all we can have for that decision is the information on the record in front of us and the conversations that ensue at that meeting. Unfortunately, because of what you said, Julia, with a small community, it's often the case that somebody comes up and wants to talk about it before the meeting. And I've learned, and it took a while to be able to explain what I just said and say, can you make it to the meeting? If you can't, can you write in? Can you get someone to come to the meeting for you and speak your piece? Because I want all of us to have this information, but I can't dig into this with you because if I do, I will have to remove myself and then that's not going to help the decision making. And most people, once they hear the explanation, understand, okay, that's um, an issue that we can't discuss right now, but they also understand that there is a time coming when that will be available to them. And I think, Lance, you bring up a really great point there, too, in that, you know, we have these processes and these procedures that, that we have to follow. And sometimes it feels like it's just so slow to get to the final decision. But there's a reason that those procedures and processes exist, and it's so that we are as fair and as open as we possibly can be. And I think the point you raise about, you know, really trying to engage our constituents through that process, I do want people to understand I read every single public comment that is sent to, to me, that is sent to town council, that is sent to our town clerks. Um, we all read them all. And I sometimes cannot respond to them all because there's literally hundreds depending on the issue, but know that we really need that. We need you to engage in that way. And I love, 
you know, having those conversations on the chairlift and, um, you know, elsewhere. But sometimes we can't have those conversations, as Lance points out. All right, we have another call. Hi, you're live on Kodo. Hey, how's it going? I have a lost cat that I found. Awesome. Let's get your information. Find that cat. Somebody. Mystery. All right, so you found a cat. I found a cat. Okay. What does this cat look like? It is black and white. It's like all black, and then it has little white boots, and uh, the middle of its snout is white, and it kind of goes down its chest. Oh, my gosh. Sounds adorable. Okay. And, no, obviously, because you would have known if there was no, like, collar or identification or anything like that on it? There is no collar identification. Sorry about that. I have yet to take it to the vet for the microchip thing. Got it. Okay. Um, are you planning on holding on to it, or how should folks get in touch if they're like, that's my cat? Uh, yeah, I'm planning to hold on to it because it's really cold outside. Yeah. <laughs> You're not, like, dropping <laughs> them off was, at the vet or anything like that, though? Uh, not, not yet. Okay. So it was meowing outside my door at, like, 9 p.m. last night. Oh, bless. Where? Yeah, where where did you find this kitten? In Sunnyside. Okay. So I picture it being a Sunnyside or an Eider Creek cat. Totally, yeah. That makes sense. Um, what's a good number for folks to reach you if they know it's their cat? 845-242-3641. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much for calling in, and hopefully we can find this guy's uh, family. That would be wonderful. All right. Thank you. Right, bye. Bye. All what right. a beauty of community radio, Julia. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> you know what? It's not an off the record unless we have a lost and found item. Or in this this case, found cat. Um, there is a black and white cat with little white boots and a middle of its nose snout down to its chest. White. No collar. Found at Sunnyside. If that sounds like your kitten, give a call. Eight four five two four two six no three six four one. Perfect. All right. Um, we were talking about transparency in local government and how constituents can hold governments accountable when it comes to that. I know that Lance and Marty, you had kind of shared thoughts. Teddy, if you have any thoughts that you wanted to add. You bet. I, I think, you know, we can always do better. I know that speaking for the town of Telluride, that when you look at um, the addition of Lindsay Mills uh, as the communications director um, has been a just a fantastic step in the right direction. And even if for the people who are getting their snow alerts on their phones for when we're plowing and ticketing and towing and all that stuff, and we'll continue to get better in getting information out there and trying to be transparent in you know everything that we do, you know, except you know the examples given by Lance um, when when you kind of can't contribute to these conversations and the only thing that i can stress is you know being new what little i know of you know my fellow council people my commission people and the staff is you know you may disagree but they all care you have some good people well within the town of telluride and and the people i know and have a history with in the village and in in the county I, i see the same thing so you know i think that um we're we're going down the right track and and i know sometimes it's hard you know we work hard we play hard and it's tough to prioritize showing up to a meeting and if that meeting's on time and 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 how you can contribute in person on zoom emails um you know whatever that means of reaching out is but please do we're you know i say it a lot but we're only as strong as our weakest local and so we need to know when when you know you can contribute to make us us better and we and we don't know it all you know and we don't claim to know it all so we need your feedback we need your support we need your constructive criticism and and even on a bad day we'll we'll take your not so constructive criticism can i just add that um between Catherine warren uh, your communications pio up in the village and lindsay mills we have uh, got suzanne chevins on board and she is 
drafted a communications plan for us that really expands our county efforts, and we'll be talking about that tomorrow, actually, at our BOCC meeting. Um, that's an acronym for Board of County Commissioners. Um, and I look forward to trying to really um, expand the amount of communication that the county does and try to match the good work that you two jurisdictions are doing. Yeah. Um, you know, we're already 20 minutes in and haven't even gotten to a technical subject issue and I'm going to dive into one that we know is on there and we're going to try I'm going to challenge us in this room listeners and potentially anyone who calls in we're going to try and not spend the rest of the hour talking about housing because we know that we could we could talk about this for hours um, but we know that housing is a very big issue and topic in our communities in our region so I would love to hear from each of you things that your jurisdictions have going on that you're really excited about things that are coming down the pipeline when it comes to housing and, and getting more of our locals into stable places to live Lance wants to go first again so we're just gonna let him do it do you mind if I jump in go go for it Lance. great um, I want to address a couple really important housing things and I'll start with one that's been a bone of contention, which is the East End Master Plan. And I just want to tell everybody that we plan to hold a meeting starting at 9 a.m. on the 24th of this month to discuss the Community Housing Zone District. That will be hosted by the um, Planning Commission, and the commissioners will be sitting in, listening in, present. And please join us and help us to... Um, unpack this difficult issue. Uh, with that said, for housing, the uh, county's top goal for this year and next is housing. We have identified four sites. Um, Deep Creek Shop, down where the county shop is located. We're trying to figure out if we can do a little housing there. It would be probably for county employees, but those road and bridge guys are all coming, mostly coming from quite far away. Um, the sheriff's department is looking at trying to do a very small um, staff housing project on their property down in Ilium. We, the county, are working on the Pathfinder gravel pit, and it's still in a preliminary stage where we're trying to figure out uh, what's possible, but we're excited about that. And the final area of focus for the future, and this is a longer burn, is the Matterhorn site with... Um, partnership from the Forest Service, and if we can work through that, it may require an act of Congress, an act actual act of Congress, but if we could work through that, that would be also very exciting. Time will tell on all those four. The only other housing issue that I'd like to jump at into, if you don't mind me continuing, is uh, Diamond Ridge, and all I can say for right now is that we plan to have a joint executive session between the Board of Commissioners and the Town of Telluride Town Council sometime in February. And at that meeting, we'll discuss what our visions are as co-owners of that property. Um, my personal instincts are that we have three paths forward with a couple permutations, but the three major options are either to decide that we'd like to sell, decide that we'd like to land bank it, or decide that we'd like to develop it at some point in the future. Well said. Um, and it's great to see all the things that the county has um, that they're thinking about coming down the pike, maybe, or just in the future. And and, and more is better for all of us. Um, you know, a quick summary of affordable housing uh, within the town of Telluride. You know, we're nearing completion of the Voodoo Project. That is 27 Rental housing units um, should be complete the fall of 2024. Um, love to say September, but we'll stretch fall a little bit. We all know how finishing projects um, is. And, and uh, in addition to that, um, we are remodeling, refreshing nine units in the Shandoka F building with the addition of three rental studio units. Um, and that's also going to be slated to be com completed in the fall. Um, not only do the units need a refresh, um, it also helps us um, differentiate on the different income level and tiers um, to help get us get back into compliance. Um, we're still working um, together with Servitas on the public-private public, public partnership, which is the Canyonlands um, uh, townhouse, um, tower house project, which is just 
east of um, Clark's Market. Um, you know, we're still in the uh, pre-construction phase to figure out exactly what's going to uh, occur there and, and running into some challenges about how the parking is going to work. But, um, you know, tentatively 37 restricted housing units with three free market units that will be sold to help, um, you know, get money back into all the projects that we're doing. Um, the town is working on the Virginia Placer um, phases 2A and 2B, um, you know, in total probably about 20 units. Um, that's down by the public workshop. Um, and then just quickly, uh, we'll, we'll be phase two building F in Shandoka, refreshing 14 units, expanding another two, adding another um, three studio units, expanding two to three existing units. Um, hopefully that work will begin in the fall. And we're still in the early phases of um, the Shandoka parking lot redevelopment. Um, we had some conceptual designs presenting in, in 2022 and 2023, and there were public forms on that. Um, you know, to give everyone a recap, you know, and, and, you know, these are just, you know, ballpark numbers and nothing to be, you know, held a gun to the town's head, but could be 900 vehicles, 30 to 40 housing units. It could be a transit-oriented space, some health, uh, some child care. Um, and then lastly, you know, we are really starting to put together, um, you know, what could potentially happen at Carhenge and working with um, Telski on that. And, you know, who knows? That could be two to 300 housing units, 10 to 20,000 uh, square feet of commercial community uses, um, personally, uh, and selfishly, we'll fight tooth and nail for a day lodge down there as well, uh, and a guaranteed apparate place. I think when you selfishly, when you talk about building, maintaining, establishing community, you need community spaces to do that, and we're lacking in those. Um, but that gives everyone a little bit of an idea of where the town is, where we're heading, and then some future projects that are just extremely conceptual. But we. Um, it seems that everyone uh, the, at the commission level, the council level, staff level understand the urgency of trying to contribute a significant uh, amount of housing to the region along with um, Lance's efforts with San Miguel County and, and Marty will give us an update, but I know they're doing significant um, things in the town of Mountain Village to, to add to this pool. And uh, thanks, Julia. Um because we could talk about this all night, couldn't yeah. we? Um, I will be quick. We are in the you know construction phase of Meadowlark, which um, there are only two units that are unsold of the 29, and there will be a lottery for those. These are for sale units that are in the Meadows. The lottery for those is TBA, but we will definitely let everyone know when that occurs. Um, we are also getting very close to move in at building E of VCA, which is super exciting. Um, that will have eight one-bedroom units and 13 two-bedroom units. And later on, building W is going to come online. And that has, I think, a, you know innovative and um, different layout um, because those ones are going to have, you know, four-bedroom suites with, you know, like shared spaces. So a little bit more communal living, but I think that could really work well for, you know, some of our, some of our employees. And then of course we are, you know, the, the proud owners of quite a bit of acres in Ilium, the Alexandra property. And I think that that is going to be really an opportunity for everyone sitting in this room, as well as our, uh, applicable governments to really sit down and put our heads together because I recognize and understand as people are listening right now that when we just start rattling off all of these, you know, you know, these, how many units and this much density and these many cars, I mean, that's, that's a lot to digest. And, you know, I think that moving forward and I am going to go out on a limb and say that I have, I think some, um, some partners here sitting next to me and in the moving forward, you know, I think the more that we can begin 
to look at housing with a more holistic view and that these projects aren't, you know, projects in isolation just to kind of reach this number of, well, we are going to need this many housing units. We have to think about what that means for our region. And, you know, we can stick some in Mountain Village. We can stick some in Ilium. We, you know, and we're all working on that because we desperately need to. But, you know, we also need to think about the impacts and how we can improve and, um, you know, make, you know, all of the ancillary, you know, things better. Like, you know, we need to talk about parking. We need to talk about transit. Um internet i mean you know there's lots of things that go along with having more housing and um i'm really excited to you know especially with the Ilium project to work with our regional partners to you know create something that you know has a long-term and holistic view of um you know what we want this this region really to be when it when it you know grows up yeah wait we have to grow up (laughs) (laughs) depending on who you talk to (laughs) Um, you know, and I've said this before, but I feel like when I came on to, when I moved to town, when I started working at Kodo, we would often hear when it comes to the housing crisis, we can't build our way out of this. And I feel like over the past several years, there's been a little bit of a, I have noticed a shift of the only thing we can do is build our way out of this. All we have to do is just like build more. And I wonder what y'all think about that of you obviously all as governments have a lot of building projects of like getting more units, creating them out of nothing. Um, do you do you feel like this is this is the way forward? We just need to keep getting more shovels in the ground, keep building more units. Or are there other things that we should be thinking about discussing, working towards that maybe doesn't involve building new things from scratch? Julia, let me ask you a question to answer your question, which is, I think the only obvious way to require less housing would be to throttle back on the number of employees needed in the region. Do you think that that kind of um, self-imposed economic restriction is a way forward? Well, I guess I would maybe, I guess the, the question I'm posing more is like, are there other other ways that we can try and increase our housing availability units that are open for people to be in or ways that we can solve our housing crisis that are maybe separate and apart from simply building? Great question. Um, And I've, in my own brain, I've had that circle around um, a lot. And I personally think that you have to at least start with building a significant chunk and maybe that's not building our way completely out of it but it's taking a lot of the heat what i've started to come around with the last couple of years is that you know attitudes of of people and whether it's friendliness aggressiveness and social media woes if someone's not comfortable with a place to rest their head that's only going to continue to get worse. So we've got to figure out something and figure out something fast. And with working with, you know, the major entities, um, the governments, you know, San Miguel County and uh, the Mountain Village, you know, Telski, the towns, the school district, all that, you know, I think we can take that significant chunk out and then that will afford us what I think will be the opportunity to diversify it. And then that's starting to create multiple tiers, steps of getting out of it, different products that's just not throw a head in the bed that may be, you know, different multi-use neighborhoods in the immediate region and, and all the things that come with that, that, you know, ball fields and restaurants. And, you know, I always like to say, think ABC, you know, the Aspen um, airport business center and you know and what a vibrant community that has turned into over the years and, and and something you know it's all tough when your toilet clogs and you can't find a plumber and we need to address and tackle so many things along with figuring out that magic number of, of heads and beds but doing it in a way that eventually will be hopefully solving the problem but solve the needs of a lot of different levels of you know family segments which you know we kind of just we have some of those, but, you know, I think certainly we need more and, uh, and it's tough. And I think 
you know, having everyone starting to realize those kind of things is going to be very healthy, very helpful, um, and, and and we'll get there. I, I wish I knew when, but I'm, I'm pretty confident in in the abilities of of the county, the Mountain Village, and Telluride. And Julia, to answer your question, no, I I don't believe we can simply build our way out of this, but. We have to go at it from, um, you know, with a many-pronged approach. And as I mentioned, parking and transportation is a huge part of that. And I think that we've already made a giant step in that direction with SMART and having a regional transit authority. And they're doing fantastic work. Um, You know, I think it's... It's work that, you know, is going to take time to get us to our, you know, critical mass, if you will. But not everyone wants to live in Tyride or Mountain Village. You know, they they want to be, you know, further out in the county where they have some space. And allowing them more opportunities to, you know, either work where they live or have ways to get to where they work. Um, and ways, you know, for those folks to still be engaged in our community and our region. Um, you know, so I think, you know, we're having to look at it from a lot of different angles. And we have a call. Hi, you're live on Kodo. Hey, this is um, Bob Beener. I'd love to answer your question. Go for it. Am I on the air? You are. Okay, um, so I'll just tell my story. Um, many years ago, when I was living in a tent, I noticed that somebody had a really nice house. So I went up to them and I asked them if I could live in their house because they didn't use it very much. And they said yes. And it ended up to be a great relationship for for me for 16 years and then my sister for a few years, and they still have been sharing their property. And they realize that uh, being generous and uh, sharing what they had enriched their lives. So what my plan is, is that somebody like the um, uh, Telluride Foundation could become a clearinghouse for people who want to be helpful in providing some sharing their property and with people who need housing and are, you know, resourceful and able to be very uh, diligent in keeping the house clean and fixing things and knowing how to call who needs to be called. And so there's hundreds literally probably 500 houses that could be utilized that are sitting vacant and property managers are going in there and flushing toilets. And that's all they get. They don't have a friend who lives in their house. So that's my story. And my vision is let's make this happen. Thanks for your call. Thanks, Bob. I think that that is a perfect example of just another creative approach that you know we're going to have to use a lot of them so thanks for sharing i'll add another creative approach that the town of vale has been using called the indeed program and the way it works is the town has set aside funds to um, pay private homeowners or condo owners in the town of vale to put a deed restriction on their property um, in perpetuity and in exchange for that money up front the property goes into the community housing pool. It's been somewhat successful, and I think that Bob's example is another good example of a program that would be somewhat successful given all the right people getting together at the right time. Yeah, Mountain Village does have, um, we basically took Vale's approach and we just renamed it. We called it the YES program. It's called Your Equity Support and it is the exact same program as Vale, as just as you described. Um, so here's a plug. If you um, 
you know, want some equity support, Mountain Village has funds for that. And uh, we've not had um, a whole lot of interest in it thus far. But again, you know, I think that, you know, we have to be available um, in, you know, a lot of different ways um, for, you know, whenever and however people are, are ready. Lance, you mentioned it earlier, um, and, I, and I am curious, you know, when we think about the growth of our region, recognizing that we ha- are growing, continuing to grow, and how you think about the possibility of a carrying capacity. Like, is there a place where we do get to the the cap where we're just like, our, our economy, our businesses, our space, our... Um, utilities, which we can definitely touch on the wastewater treatment plant, genuinely cannot, we cannot afford to have or physically have more people, more business in this space. And recognizing that's not a specifically for 2024 question, but how you think about that moving forward as as governments? Well, I am sure that Lance has some things to say. Um, (laughs) I know that the carrying capacity conversation has factored very large in the conversation about, you know, that that the county has been having. Um, So I will leave some of that to him. You know, Mountain Village is in a different place. We, when we, um, you know, started, we were not a town. Um, We have, and we had and continue to have a limited amount of development that we can possibly do. We have 8,023 density units that we can build. And we are, you know, 60% or so there. Um, So we do actually know how much more we're going to grow. And I will say that that is at once both challenging as well as a blessing. um, Because, you know, we know sort of exactly what we have to work with from here on out. And the hard question is what we're going to do with it. And and speaking along those lines, because we're all three, all three of the government sitting here have different, you know, different circumstances. And and when I hear the the term carrying capacity, I usually ask the first question: Well, are we talking about figuring out the hard numbers and what is our carrying capacity, um, you know, to survive as a community, or is it more of a holistic carrying capacity that? is what differentiated Telluride from, to me personally, from every other ski town in North America and why, yeah, I'm biased, of course, as mayor of Telluride, but we're the greatest ski town, the greatest ski community, however you want to word it, in North America and have, you know, so many assets that have helped us create, you know, that unique position. Um, and, and And I don't know the answer is... The, the philosophical side versus the technical side because we don't want to kill the goose that laid the golden egg you know by more 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 that's just not how my humble opinion how we need to approach telluride but we have to have certainly affordable housing increases and we've got more density for free market homes that have been master planned or we're lucky to have um you know down zone a lot of things so it's not the future's not going to be super crowded like it could have been. Um, and it's just how do we figure out merging those two, two two things to come up with, you know, you'll never be perfect, but we can be pretty good with the plan. All right, we have another call. Hi, you're live on Kodo. Yeah, there's another aspect to that question of carrying capacity. As you know, we have a successful business model. And, you know, say, just throw out a number that the carrying capacity here is double what we are now, um, maybe even a little bit less. But you know, we have a successful business model that people like, and you know, how do we continue that business model and make it available to more people? That would mean competing with ourselves. It is a free market, so you know, Ridgeway is perhaps the best example of this. Um, you know, that's a close by community that has a lot of the quality aspect uh, that Telluride has. And it's also within our commute, uh, uh, reasonable range of commute. And, you know, instead of blocking out that competition, we've got to accept that competition. Instead of just building this narrower and narrow slice of the country where people can live a quality life. 
Uh, and, you know, that's, that's just evil. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thanks for your call. If anyone wanted to kind of dip into that as well as we continue with um, the idea of how do we maybe grow sustainably and, and with a, a concept of, you know, do we, do we reach a place where we cannot grow more? Well, I think that Marty's been touching on something that's very much a part of that conversation, which is transportation, and I want to get to that mm-hmm. because we've been on housing now for almost 45 minutes. <laughs> but before we jump over, I want to agree with what Teddy was saying and maybe add a little more to it. There are hard stop numbers, whether it's water, whether it's geography, there's a certain amount of um, density that can fit in this corner of the world. And then there's some intangibles or some more aesthetic choices, and that would include traffic, which I think if you've been around for a while has become untenable, and if you just arrived is better than where you were. And so that's a more personal assessment. Um, We are going to struggle with trying to make a balance between what we can live with and what we need, and that is going to be hard-stopped by nature and by water, to be really honest. Um, With that, we've tried to do um, some calculations about what is the carrying capacity in numbers, and it's really hard to do that. It turns out that you can get out a calculator and you can add up all the existing platted lots. For example, Marty's got that 8,020 number, and it's hard. It's done. We know that. But there's still some wild cards out there, and we can, I think, unfortunately, take them as they come, discuss them on their own merits, and as we get closer and closer to the maximum, we'll start to see that that project isn't doable for whatever reason, whether it's traffic, whether it's environment, whether it is a lack of services that can be provided. So I don't have a crystal ball. I can't give you a hard number for this is the carrying capacity of the Telluride region. But I can say that as we start to nudge closer to it, I think we'll all get increasingly picky about what we do allow. Yeah. And, and it's funny, I like to add kind of a, a, a microcosm of that mentality and think of our major music festivals. They have that same carrying capacity. They create their own little community you know, humor me for a second, but, you know, there's a big difference when there's 8,000 people in the park at Telluride Bluegrass versus 10,000 people in the park for Telluride Bluegrass versus 11,5 or in certain circumstances 12,000. And the impacts of those numbers, is it, does it diminish the experience for the attendees? And for some it does, and then for some it enables them to bring in better talent and what's better, what's worse. And, and as locals, you know, we, we, you know, we like to discuss those topics a lot, you know, especially here at Kodo. Like what is the best and how these festivals are in a microcosm answering these questions. And then we've got to figure out how to do it, you know, in a much more, you know, important way for our region that it's just, you know, like I said before, just the more, more, more model isn't going to work. And but we have to figure out how we're going to balance our future with our growth plans and what we can do. And it's, you know, it's a struggle on so many different levels. Julia, can we jump to transportation? Yes, thank you. I was, as you mentioned, Lance, we are nearing the end of our hour. I don't know how it happens so quickly, and I do <laughs> want to jump to uh, transportation, both in terms of um, bus transit with the San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation, and also we're going to bring in the gondola in there as well as a really key piece. I know that um, both towns of Mountain Village and Telluride and San Miguel County have um, people sitting on the smart board as well as gondola leadership and kind of planning. And so I'm just going to yeah throw that out of, you know, where do you see our region when it comes to transportation and what are we doing to make it as good as possible, recognizing that it is a very necessary thing in our in our area? I sit on both the smart board and I'm on the gondola subcommittee, which is the planning committee you referenced and attend those leadership meetings. So I'd really like to plug... First of all, SMART has a community survey out right now. And if you go to the SMART website and find that survey, you can influence what and where SMART will be providing service. 
With that, I'll add that Smart has a pilot program in the works for Montrose, and that's really exciting. Smart has been providing service either through vans or actual buses to Natarita, Rico, Ridgeway, and trying to increase both the number of buses running and the um, number of times those buses show up in an effort to get people onto the bus and off the road. And I'm confident that as traffic continues to build, that SMART is going to be the only way that we can keep our roads unclogged and keep things reasonable because geographically we don't have the luxury of building a lot more thoroughfares in and out of the valley. Um, as far as the gondola, I have been attending those meetings for quite a while now and watched the governments and the Telski and TMVOA all work really hard and very closely to create a pathway forward for an aging system. And I remain hopeful that we'll get to the finish line. I know it's an integral part of our transit um, web and without the gondola, I think that we'd fall apart from a transit perspective and that parking would suffer and that uh, traffic would increase and it would be a terrifying cluster. So I am crossing my fingers and doing everything I can from the county side to bring good energy to that and to um, steer that project forward. On that gondola note, I'll add a few more things, um, one of which is that I think you know, when we've been in the midst of these conversations for so many years, we forget, at times at least, what an incredible thing that we've done here by having the only public transportation aerial tramway. It is amazing that we can claim that as as ours. And it's what makes our destination what it is. It is um, the like it is on par with moving people as the as the bus line on Colfax Avenue in Denver that is how many people we can move with our machine and i'm channeling jim loby right now <laughs> because that guy has spent virtually an entire career learning the ins and outs of how to continue to run what is essentially a, a, a chairlift as a public transit system. What I think we all need to remember at times is that we are charting new territory here. Um, gondolas are not made to run, you know, 12 hours a day for almost the entire year. And Loby and his team have been able to keep that thing running and running as well as it has been running, which is not very efficient um, for this long. Some, you know, just to preface the conversation about the gondola with those basic facts that, you know, we have been doing something that is incredible. And now we're at a position where, you know, we need to see what the next move is. Um, you know, getting to an industry standard with our machine. I think, you know, there's been, as Lance noted, there's been a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of data points, and, you know, we have a path forward. And I really am excited about, you know, what what the next steps are going to be. Um, but I think, you know, it is really important to remember just how crucial a piece of equipment this thing is and that you know it really doesn't exist anywhere else and we're using this machine in a way that it's not designed to be used and um you know that makes us have to you know think about how we're going to you know build it for the future yeah and it's and i'd like to hit you know the emotional aspect of it i mean it's cool. I mean, it really is, you know. I mean, I'm not even being a dork about it. Like, it is cool when you, you know, take it up to the, you know, AIDS Benefit Fashion Show and, then you know, and you ride back at night and town's lit up underneath. It is just so unique and so cool that it has, you know, outside of its intended purpose of being a transportation um, medium um, that really makes us function so well 
um, as a region, but you have the coolness factor. You have it doubling as a ski lift for the resort. And, you know, in just this, you know, it's free and, you know, there's nothing like it. And so, you know, we're very lucky that we have this connector of community, you know, and, and that gondola connects, um, you know, the two communities of Telluride and Mountain Village like no other community, you know, that I know of in, in certainly the United States. And that's a big, huge piece of it, you know. And again, obviously the transportation aspect of it is is primary. That, that you know, and, and but there's so many other things that just make it, you know, just all, it's awesome. It really is. It's fantastic. I love it. And just before we move off of transportation and the gondola, you know, parking truly is a part of that whole conversation and it needs to be, you know, there needs to be regional conversations and regional solutions. Um, each of our communities, you know, can't possibly be tasked with the responsibility of parking all of our cars. And, um, so I think, you know, that is another element of transportation that we can't forget about is that last mile as they call it in the transit world. Right. And, you know, when it, especially when it comes to the gondola, but transportation transportation in general will definitely continue to be having those conversations here more as we have been, as we get closer to that 2027 deadline and what that looks like, what that looks like for the community when we potentially have a season or two without a gondola running, if, we ha- if when we kind of do that big overhaul. So it's definitely something that will stay top of mind. So thank you for... Pushing it to the front of the conversation, Lance and Marty. Um, you know, part of the the getting cars off the road um, conversation obviously also has to do with environment and climate change in our communities. And, you know, Teddy, you mentioned it, um, wildfire and all of those issues that are um, coming before us recognizing that we do have little time, but I'm just going to beg POW serves forgiveness because I know we're going to go over Um what what are your jurisdictions doing when it comes to thinking through um, how we can approach climate change, recognizing it's a huge question um, and and the environmental impacts of living in the place that we live? Lance, go for it. Thank you, Lance. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll preface my remarks by saying that no matter how well we as a region do in combating climate change, um, it's not going to solve the problem. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try, and we shouldn't be a good example. So from the county's perspective, we have uh, committed to the regional climate plan, climate action plan. We are continuing to fund and try to grow our payment for ecosystem services program, which is a soil health program for ranchers and farmers. And the concept there is complicated, but generally you're paid for using best practices to try to regenerate the soil and um, avoid pesticides and um, increase water retention and basically try to do the right thing for the, um, the earth while we're also growing sustainable crops. Um, we have been focusing as hard as we can on meeting the state goals for carbon as they come at us and so far we've been hitting the mark but there's more targets coming and more work to be done I'm proud that the county has been able to add solar in many of our installations including the sheriff's offices in Norwood and also in Ilium and on top of the county offices themselves in the Maramonte building so we're doing our best to to show leadership provide a good example and provide programs for citizens as well to um, receive some rebates if they want to do their own personal uh, solar panels, for example. Yeah, and I'll jump into to uh, share some of Mountain Village's incentive programs. Um, I think that um, this our solar energy incentive was wildly successful. Um, in its first year, which was a number of years ago. We have a wildfire mitigation defensible space incentive, seed or shake incentive, so you can, um, you know, harden your home a little better, getting rid of those seed or shake roofs. That has been wildly successful in all the years. Um, One of the um, 
instead of programs that's dear to my heart is the farm to community where we provide any resident who applies um, up to, I think it's 80 families um, with a free to very low cost weekly CSA. And we partner with Sam and the Fresh Food Hub. Um, and that is, you know, all these things I think combined, you know, are, are helping us get there. Um, however, you know, there's a whole bunch of information on the Town of Mountain Village website, um, you know, including what our um, long-term goals are. Um, so check that out. That's also, there's also a housing tab if you want to get more information on um, some of those other housing projects that we talked about before. And, and for me, you know, uh, sometimes you just have to admit the fact when you're new, you don't know everything. And so for me with the Town of Telluride, you know, the specifics of what we're trying to accomplish and where we're going is, um, you know, things that I'm still learning and, and realize the importance of it. And it's, you know, it's as simple as, um, you know, our lifestyles could all change in 25 years if we don't have snow. And, and you, you look at a scary proposition like that. And all that I think about is, you know, sadly, when you look at, you know, our immediate region, and, and our three governments, you know, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it in a sad way of no matter what we do, it's just a drop in the bucket. If we can't get, you know, a more uh, positive mindset out of, you know, members of our country, let alone the planet. But we have such innovative minds in our community. And, um, and I think the Tyrod Foundation is um, really going to tackle a lot of sustainability and futures issues. Um that my hope is is that together we do such great things um, at whatever scale, doesn't matter how big or how small, that because of the transient nature of the people who visit, second homeowners, tourists, people always move, come and go, is that, you know, we can, you know, we can do things that people will adopt in other communities that will really start to make a difference because it is such in the forefront of the three governments. We are actively over our time, but I'm going to get in a couple more questions. <laughs> um, finishing out um, with probably the least sexy topic that we're going to cover today, I just want to get an update on wastewater treatment plant. This is a um, important thing that you know is not maybe the most intriguing issue to always hear about, but you know, going with that of you know we can only do as much as our wastewater treatment plant, our water can handle. So. Where are we in terms of expanding that, um, being able to have those systems meet the demand that they need to? Well, luckily, we're very close to um, being over our time here, Julia. <laughs> and I can just say that um, I think that there have been some encouraging developments and, um, you know, at least from the town of mountain villages perspective, you know, I think that we really look forward to exploring, um, some of the options that, um, that, you know, we've mutually been able to look into and, um, there will be more on that to come. And, and you know, we've executed our agreement with Genesee, um, out in Lawson Hill and society turn and just, you know, you know, working on a few tweaks and twists and turns and we're, closer than ever to, you know, trying to, you know, figure out exactly, you know, what we're doing size-wise, location-wise, um, all of the above, you know, because that's, you know, it almost goes hand-in-hand hand with carrying capacity, you know. We, we know where we're at. We know where we need to be, but only partially because we've kind of got to figure out what our future roadmap is. So whether there's phases, whether there's more opportunities in other parts of the region, and I'm talking, you know, 25 plus years down the road, you know, what can we do to help not only solve this pressing need now as quickly as possible, because I realize it seems that it's dragged out for the last six or seven years, but how can we do that and then create a pathway efficiently so, you know, every 20 years we're not having to reinvent the wheel for the community as, as someday everyone in this room will hand off. All right. Um, I'm going to ask one, before before final thoughts, I'm going to ask one one-word question. Always. Um, you always yeah, get I know, the one word. I know. I love it. I love a rapid fire. <laughs> but it is recognizing that there are so many topics and we cannot ever cover them all in one hour. So outside of the topics that we covered today, 
what what do you think is like the most important thing that we should be talking about as a community? Childcare. All right. Behavioral health. Unity. Okay. That's a harder one to like put the theme around for another off the record, but we'll work on it. <laughs> um Thank you all so much for, for being here this evening. I am going to final closing thoughts of um, anything else you'd like to share or, you know, thoughts as we head into this 2024 in your roles as the leaders of your each individual governments that are, you know, the leaders of our governments in this region. Well, I'll just circle back with what I started with is that I'm really looking forward to the next year. We have a lot of work to do, but I think we're all ready to roll up our sleeves and get some really good things done. And um, I couldn't be doing any of this without the staff at the Mountain Village. So I give all of the credit for anything smart I might have said to them as Karen Warren is texting me things. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine Warren, the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> she is. And thank you, Catherine. <laughs> I will echo Marty's uh, comment about the staff I am really lucky, and we're all very lucky to have the staff at San Miguel County working tirelessly to do things well, do things right. And as Teddy mentioned, our staff's heart is also in the right place. Um, if you care about issues in the county, there is a place on the website to sign up for notifications. And it is kind of a pick-your-own-adventure, whether it's planning, whether it's environment, whether it's... Um, weed control, which is part of the county's mandate. Um, you can get notices of those meetings, you can be involved, and I urge you to go to the county website and pick and choose what your interests are and then attend those meetings as possible. And As kind of the new guy in the room, you know, and it's echoing their sentiments, but I can't, it's almost unfathomable to me how good not only my staff at the town of Telluride has been to me in breaking in a new person. I realize that's more work for them. But the existing council members have been tremendous to me and as well as, you know, my conversations with our commissions and boards. Um, and I think when you start to feel that type of unity, my word, um, and, and, you know, I think good things will happen. And everyone has their own schedules, their own you know, with work, with finances, with kids, with fun, with travel, you name it. I, I understand we're an over-programmed community, but please, all I can ask is try to get involved in some form or fashion. There's no such thing as getting involved in too small of a way, but just try to do something so your voice is heard. Because I think a lot of the things that we're dealing with and that we're going to have to tackle are going to be hopefully solutions, but certainly something that, you know, the younger generations of our community are going to have to, to deal with. And, and like I said, hopefully in a positive manner that we're creating solutions. But, you know, for example, if you're 30, 35 years old and, and, and you see a future for, for you for the next 30 to 35 years in Telluride, we need to hear from you because we will be hopefully, you know, passing this off to you to then lead for the generation that follows. So we need your help. Perfect. Well, Teddy Errico, Telluride Mayor, Lance Waring, San Miguel County Commissioner, and Marty Prohaska, Mountain Village Mayor. Thank you all so much for being here this evening. Thank you to all of our listeners, especially those who called in. Thank you to Pouser for letting me go over by a ridiculous amount of minutes. <laughs> um, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week with more Off the Record, and we'll be back tomorrow with more news. You're tuned in to KOTO Telluride. Thanks for listening to Off the Record. Opinions expressed on this show are those of our guests. Join us again next week for another installment. And in the meantime, drop us a line at news at koto.org with feedback and ideas. Oh,